0: All right, let's jump into John chapter fourteen this morning. Uh, we're going to read through both chapters because it's what you need to hear more than anything else, anyways. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, uh, so let's read through uh, John chapters fourteen and fifteen, and then we'll back up to the beginning of John fourteen and uh, walk through it uh, here, walk through uh, verse one verse at a time, or maybe a couple at a time. A couple at a time, right? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> also, before we read, sorry, I just want to mention: don't forget to be praying for our folks that are out sick and stuff. So, my like my family, <laughs> and uh, I know my, my mother-in-law is not feeling great, and stuff too. So, and uh, folks traveling this week too. So, okay, John fourteen, beginning in verse one. Let not your heart Be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many uh, dwelling places or mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and, and how, can we, how can we know the way? Jesus <laughs> said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you haven't known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater than these, greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, my commandments and I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the, the spirit of truth whom, whom the world can't receive because it neither, it neither sees him nor knows him but, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you I won't leave you orphans I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more but you'll see me because I live you'll live also At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest, reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot. (laughs) Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll, you'll reveal yourself to us, you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who doesn't love me, doesn't keep my words. And the word which you hear isn't mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and and bring to you remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you'd rejoice, because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, arise, let us go from here. Chapter 15. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he he takes away or, or lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. for A servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they don't know him who sent me. If I hadn't come and spoken to them, they'd have no sin. But now... Now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I hadn't done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the, from the beginning. All right, let's pray. And we jump in here. That's a lot of ground, guys. <laughs> uh, Father, uh, would you discipline our minds and our hearts to hear your voice? would you be at work in us through your word to change um, or to change us freely we admit that we have not yet arrived (laughs) that we see through a glass dimly, darkly we hold out this great hope as you've promised that one day we will see Clearly, we will see face to face. Lord, take your word, the very sword of your spirit, and do that as it has been said, that sanctifying surgery. (laughs) Father, I'm sure that the things that I really need are things that only you can do in me. so would you please have your way with us please Father please do what you want (laughs) please because you're good and you're mighty lead us in all of your way because Lord we want to see your kingdom come on earth just like it is in the heavens we want to see your will be done in our lives, in the lives of our friends and our family, our community, Lord. So would you work that out through us, I pray. Please do it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys, back up with me to uh, chapter 14, beginning verse 1 here. I want you to remember the immediate context, okay? that first verse, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If we back up with into chapter 13, the last thing they were talking about was Peter's denial. (laughs) The last thing that Jesus had said, remember there are no chapters and verses in, in the original writings of, of the scriptures, right? So we, we added these things so that we could all find the same place together in our, in our communal readings. But, uh, the, the immediate context is after the the last supper as we call it. This is after the institution of, of the Lord's table or communion. After that, Jesus is continuing to teach them. Remember he took his his clothes off and he wrapped a towel around them. He washed their feet. We talked about that last week. He said, I'm doing this as an example for you, that you guys should do this to one another and, and I'm going to give you a new commandment, right? The great commandments of the the law of Moses were that you should love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one, Jesus said, is like it that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in John chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. As I have loved you, now you ought to love one another. And then he um, uh, gave, wh- I, <laughs> it's not that encouraging when we examine the, it's not really encouraging at all when we examine sort of the state of uh, the way that the church is viewed in our communities frequently. Um, But Jesus said they will know you are are my disciples by your love for one another. And I suppose that uh, the shame and contempt heaped upon the church is probably evidence that um, maybe there are fewer disciples of Jesus than we want to admit. Um, so then the challenge for me is to say, am I truly a disciple to Jesus? Because <laughs> right? I can't control anyone else, but uh, but, am I truly a disciple to Jesus? And am I, am I encouraging and helping others to be disciples to him, to be his followers? And then what does that look like for me in my life? Right? And yes, certainly uh, we can own corporately um, the, m- <laughs> maybe in some ways, the catastrophe <laughs> of the American church and say, Lord, we repent. <laughs> Forgive us. Because in many ways we've made uh, the church more about uh, America than about Jesus. And that's the height of blasphemies. right? Um. <clears throat> the last thing Jesus talked to them about in John chapter 13 was to say to Peter, who said, Peter said, Lord, even if I have to die with you, I'll f- I will follow you. <laughs> and Jesus is like, all right, bro. <laughs> you're going to deny me three times. Just tonight. <laughs> like before, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Okay. So then the very next thing he says, that is the end. Jesus answered. This is John 13 verse 38. Jesus answered him. Will you lay down your life for my sake? He's talking to Peter. Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow. So you've denied me three times. And he continues talking. And the very next line is this. Don't let your heart be troubled. Man, that's, Jesus is so incredibly wonderful. He's just like, hey, you're going to act like you don't even know me. <laughs> also, don't let your heart be troubled. <laughs> this is amazing, right? Because we're like, this is, he's such a failure. I can't believe Peter would do this, you know. But Jesus sees things from a, a very different perspective than the immediacy that we tend to see things with. Jesus sees the, the long game. He sees the, the end road. He sees what's, what's happening um, beyond the veil, if you would. Let not your heart be troubled, he says. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Be careful with verses like this. I would just want to give this to you as an admonition, my friends. Please be careful because verses like this have been wielded. As instruments of pain. When someone takes something like this and they say, Well, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled, and that's a command. So if you let your heart be troubled, you're wrong. <laughs> All right, bro. <laughs> step up, step back. So I think, uh, f- especially the more I examine the way of Jesus and the more I hear and learn the scriptures. I think it's a wiser way to hear Jesus say, uh, as he said in other situations, things like, um, go your way and sin no more. Some hear that as if it's, you know, an officer saying, you better not do this again. Remember, Jesus said to take heed how you hear. And I think that's an interesting phrase. Because we can hear the same words sometimes, but hear them in different ways based on how we view the character of the person speaking them. Remember, uh, we don't have, this is like reading text messages. You guys ever had like, you know, text message you exchange with somebody and you totally misinterpret their like motive or their intention or the way they, they're saying something that, that ever happened before? Yeah, it's happened to all of us, right? Because we're reading, we're reading language. And so we're reading it with the inflection or with the tone that we're assuming that person has. And that's one of the dangers, right, of social media and of text messaging. You get in, like, social media arguments on Facebook or the Twitter or whatever. You know what I mean? Because we... The Twitter. Because we make assumptions about... Bec- okay, let me... L- fundamentally our communication with one another is so much more than just the words that we say. We communicate with with our body language. We communicate with tone and inflection. In English, we do that even to a a lesser degree than some other cultures. Some other cultures, the tone of a particular word actually changes the meaning of the word from one thing to an entirely different thing in some particular languages. So uh, all of those things are parts of communication, right? The way that we communicate with one another. So... Um, how then does that apply to how we read the scriptures? <laughs> if I'm reading the, this text and I'm saying, well, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, and, I'm, and it's, uh, he's commanding them, don't let your heart be troubled. Do you realize like he's not saying this because they don't need to hear it? like He's saying it because he knows that it's easy for our hearts to be troubled. <laughs> and he's saying this, he's saying this to us as I think many of his other commands to liberate us from the 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 oppressive nature of a heart that is troubled not to say you know how dare you but instead to say hey i'm 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 offering something more you don't have to let your heart be troubled and i hear him say that and i realize that lord you understand he understands us he was um Fully God, yes, but also fully a man, completely a man, yet without sin. (laughs) Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Lay your trust also in me. I want to make sure that we understand this idea of belief. There's a lot of weird ideas or concepts about what it means to believe something, and, oh, we better speed up or we won't make it through. Uh, there's a lot of weird, <laughs> there's a lot of very strange concepts about what it means to believe something, but the very core of this idea is uh, a Greek word that means to lay your trust in someone or something, right? So when somebody says, well, you, you Christians, you just, you know, you just walk by faith. I'm like, everybody, everybody lives by faith. The only real issue is in what am I, pla- am I placing my trust? Not whether or not, am I n- not whether or not I'm living by faith or trust in something, but in what am I putting that trust? Everyone is trusting in things that they themselves, y- there are so many things that you believe, that I believe, that I haven't examined for myself. I'm just believing what someone else has said. I'm putting my trust in some report or my trust in some information that someone has delivered to me. And as the years go on, frequently fi- we find that that trust is misplaced <laughs> because there are lots of things people say that are simply untrustworthy, right? That eventually, uh, they, as they pan out, uh, we find that they aren't true. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And i really wrestled with this because that's a weird thing to, it's like a weird translation to me to say mansions. It's just, the word is literally just a word for like places to live, dwelling places, a place to live. So it's very strange that it was translated as mansions. I think m- maybe sort of, a <laughs> you know, wanting to create a picture in our minds of a particular thing. Um uh, it, it, it seems to me that this is probably a reference to the idea of resurrected bodies. Um, but we can talk more about that another time when we get into some of Paul's writings. Regardless, <laughs> I asked my wife, I asked Kelly this the other day. I was like, what does that mean? In my father's house are many mansions. And now I'm picturing because I have this picturesque, this like picture brain. Uh, I'm like, okay, so there's a house and it's God's. But inside the house... Our mansions. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> but but whenever, whenever we look at the, the actual literal word here, it means dwelling places or places to live. So maybe we could think of in my father's house are many rooms or many places to live. Uh, the idea um, being, um, it, and very directly, Jesus is, is pointing to them. He's talking to them about, about eternity, about something beyond where they are now. And I think it's important that we, at the very bottom, make that footnote, that he's clearly talking to them about something beyond, something more than what they're experiencing now. Paul would pick up these ideas when he talks about resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about how this body is like a tent, a temporary place that we're living. The resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus proved to them after Lazarus had been dead for four days that... Dead people aren't actually dead. Otherwise, how could Lazarus have been put back into his body? If all that exists is the material world and people are just material girls, (laughs) then then Lazarus, the moment he died, the moment his, his body ceased to function with its electricity and its plumbing, Lazarus would no longer have existed. But he had been dead four days, and Jesus says, come back. And the, the being that is Lazarus went back into his body and came out of that grave, wrapped, wrapped in the grave clothes. This was Jesus demonstrating both to them and to us that the dead aren't actually dead in the way that you and I might think they are, and particularly in a naturalistic sense. In my father's house are many mansions. Also, remember this. House is a term used throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament in particular. I think of um, when God said to David, David said, I want to build you a house, God. And God's like, I didn't, I didn't ask for this. Um, <laughs> uh, but he said, it's fine. It's good that it's in your heart. But you have bloody hands, so I'm not going to let you build it. David allowed, or God allowed Solomon, David's son, to build it, the temple for God um, but right after that God said to David I'm not going to let you build a house but I am going to build you into a house and the understanding there is that David would become a dynasty that this becomes a messianic promise that Messiah the, the one promised both in Genesis 3 the one promised as the seed of Abraham the one promised throughout the scriptures would come through the line of David and of course this is so Uh, thoroughly established in the writings of the Gospels. And it's such an important point of uh, prophetic history. God would establish through David a house that would last forever, a dynasty. So even in that sense, if we were to think of this statement in that way, in my father's house or in his kingdom, in his dynasty, do you understand that sort of mentality, that sort of idea? In my father's house are many dwelling places or many mansions, and then this next part, because this is what I think many of us need to hear, because there's lots of people that are like, everything's just natural, there's no spiritual. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I just, that's so plain, isn't it? He's just like, if this wasn't true, I would have said it. So then at the, at the end of the day, I'm challenged with this question, in whom am I going to place my trust? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If that's not true, I would have told you, he said. I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus had already warned them that he would be leaving. He told them, hey, as I've told the Jews, where I'm going, you can't come with me, so now I say to you, that was in John 13, now I say to you, where I'm going now, you can't come right now, but you will come later. (laughs) And now he continues that train of thought, saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Resurrection is such a central part of the theology of of Christianity and of the Christian life. Because if there is a God who is just and who, in the end of all things, will make everything right, then it means that my suffering can mean more than just whatever present turmoil I'm enduring It means that I can sacrifice and give up what I want or even sometimes what I think I need, maybe even what I need, for the benefit of others because I trust God will repay me, whether now or later in the kingdom. This idea of resurrection sets us up for a life of sacrificial service. And when we neglect the concept of resurrection, then it makes it even more difficult for me to take up my cross and deny myself and follow Jesus. But God will make all things right. I go to prepare a place for you. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. I encouraged you guys a couple of weeks ago to read through 1 Thessalonians. I encourage you again to read it, 1 Thessalonians, particularly chapters four and five. If you want to read the whole book, great. It's only five chapters. Read the whole book. You know what? that's your assignment now. Read the whole book. 1 uh, Thessalonians this week. Just plow right through it. It'll probably take you 15 minutes, maybe, max. And then when you're done with that, you should read it again. And then after you finish, read it one more time. And then probably once more after that. Just, you know, for good measure. I will come again and receive you to myself. The Christian hope, even from the beginning, has been not only that Jesus came and died for our sins and was raised from the dead, but that he will come again. But Jason, it's been 2,000 years. Hey, they criticized the early church for that too. Peter, in one of his letters, said, uh, talked about how some people were saying, well, where's the promise of his coming? Scoffing, he scoffers, he called them. Where's the promise of his coming? I mean, that was still in the first century <laughs> that they were laughing about. Well, he said he's coming back. Where is he? And Peter's like, guys, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. Like, you, don't, you don't understand time like he does. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. There really isn't a whole lot to say about some of these things other than for me to say to you as we read through them, do you believe this? That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. I love this so much. He's like, you guys know. You know where I'm going. And the way there, you know it. Thomas, (laughs) I love Thomas. I'm not this brave though. If I would have been in that crowd, I would have been like, I have a question, but I don't want to ask because I feel like I'm dumb. Because he just said, we know the way. (laughs) He just said, he said we know, but I feel like I don't know. (laughs) Thomas is, I love Thomas because he just asked. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. (laughs) And how can we know the way? I think in a lot of ways, they're probably still thinking that he's talking about some place like physical place on the earth right like he's saying he's going to go away and we can't come now we can come later like what's he talking about so thomas said lord we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way jesus said to him i am the way the truth and the life this is this like this overarching theme verse for many no one comes to the father except through me and there jesus really throws the gauntlet down Related to religious systems, related to monotheism, related to how one might have a relationship with the true creator God. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are many who've criticized that. And so again, the question comes down to this. Do you believe him? (laughs) I am the way, the truth. The life. I love that the definite article is there. The way. The truth. The life. The first century common Greek language didn't use the indefinite article. A and an are the indefinite articles that we use in English. Uh, There is no indefinite article in uh, Greek. So uh, when they are talking about a particular thing frequently, they use the definite article to say, as we use it, to say a particular thing. I am the way. Thomas is like, we don't know where you're going and we certainly don't know the way. Jesus said, it's me. Do you, do you get that? It's him. Not a, not a code of rules. It's not establishing righteousness by your obedience to Moses or your obedience to some, like we do now, some religious experience or uh, some Uh, code of Judeo-Christian social mores that we've established over years of practice that we call the church. And whether or not you adhere to those things is the determining factor. All of that is the basis of religious systems under which we crumble because we fail. We fail to keep the codes. I know there's still many who say, well, if there is a God then I'll be pretty good with him because, you know, I'm a pretty good person. For some reason, people frequently want to throw out that I never murdered anybody thing, as if, like, that's the standard. Like, if you haven't killed anybody, then you're going to be in God's kingdom. Like, that's the only way that we hurt people, right? (coughs) Jesus says, I am the way. So when anybody comes along and says, well, here are the things you need to do to be in God's kingdom, you just say, "Mm mm-mm just jesus only he can save you (laughs) only he can give you repentance (laughs) that's a gift by the way that um well when we get to the book of acts we'll talk more about that i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me if you had known me you would you would have known my father also and from now on you know him and have seen him Again, I love this because Jesus is just saying from now on you've known him and you've seen him. Philip now asks another question. I love these guys because they're willing to ask the questions that I'd probably be afraid to ask. (laughs) What do you mean we know him and we've seen the Father? How can we see the Father? If anyone sees God, no man can see God and live, the scriptures have said, right? (laughs) What what does that mean? Philip said to him, verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Just Show us God. Show us the Father and that'll be enough. Right? You ever heard that statement? I've heard people say that. I've heard people say now nowadays, well, if God really wanted me to know him, then he would just show himself to me. All right? It's a, it's a weird argument to make for me because I, I feel like there's a lot of arrogance in that sort of thing. Um, like, because God did show himself very directly and particularly invisibly to some people. And we have records of that. So like, does he have to show himself in some particular way to every single person? Or like, is it enough for him to show himself to one person? And like, you tell them that you saw God and like, is that enough for your friends and neighbors to believe because you, God showed himself to you, you know, like how many, what's the number of people that God has to show himself to, to prove to you that God really exists or whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know what the, the deal is there. Philip said, as we read, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough. That'll be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you haven't known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Here, laid out, Jesus gives us this idea that summarizes for us what we refer to as, uh, at least partially as the Trinitarian doctrine, that God exists forever as Father and as Son and as Spirit, one being eternally existing as three persons. Jesus is called by the Apostle Paul the exact image of the Father, the express image of God. If one were to say, I want to know what God is like, all they need to do is look at Jesus. And all of the wranglings and wrestlings of people about the scriptures and about what certain things mean and what's appropriate and why, is the old, why does the Old Testament say the things that the Old Testament says seems to be a lot of criticism uh, that we're hearing again these days. If anyone is wrestling with any of those things, I would encourage you again to look to Jesus. It is in the face of Jesus that we see that we see God in the clearest way. How can you say, show us the Father? (laughs) Verse 10 says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. This union of father and son is such that the things Jesus said and did were those that he did not of himself but he did them uh, in obedience to the will of the father believe me verse 11 believe me that I am in the father and the father in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves as the old testament prophets had prophesied particular things that Messiah would do so Jesus says even examine the things that I've done believe me for the sake believe my words but also believe me for the sake of the things you've seen me do because they're in fulfillment of what the prophets had said that God would do through Messiah. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, verse 12, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. <laughs> and there have been some ministries founded on that very thing uh, and s- saying and suggesting then that, um, that um, they would do more than the miracles Jesus did. and so there are groups that very directly pursue miraculous events Um, I I don't know what else to say about that idea except to say that maybe I'm just very weak in faith and so (laughs) I struggle with that kind of stuff Um, certainly God still does miraculous things that, that just defy understanding at times as I've heard um, in testimonies both from my own life um, from uh, friends from um, uh, friends uh, my friends over in, uh, in Uganda have some incredible stories of things that God has done still this promise stands. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Now he's laying, he's about to lay something out here. There's a cause, there's a a relational direction here. They would be able to do greater works than the things Jesus had done because I go to my Father. Do you see that? Because I go to my Father. Something is happening, and this is where Jesus is moving the conversation to. He's leaving them. This is very disappointing to them. They've been living and traveling with this guy for three years now, right? And now he's about to go. He's going to be executed on the cross, and then uh, he will be raised from the dead, but then they have about 40 more days with him, and then he's going to ascend and be gone. Okay? Because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Where do we go with that? I've thought about it a lot this week. I struggle with the idea that Jesus is teaching us that God is a genie that will do whatever we want. And, and by struggle with, I mean I just outright reject. <laughs> that's, that's all I mean by that. I just, God is not, he doesn't belong to me. <laughs> if anything, I, I am just his, I am part of his creation. We, we, uh, we all belong to him, okay? I think that at the very core of this idea is the understanding of Jesus saying, if you ask anything in my name, what does it mean what does that mean what does it mean to ask for something in his name And let me make a couple of clarifying statements and then we'll move on quickly from this idea We end frequently we end prayers with that phrase in Jesus name or in your name or something like that right I need you to understand that Um, Christianity should not be, even though it has been maybe particularly American Christianity, but no, no, it's true everywhere probably. Uh, Christianity has been overrun by superstitious ideas that have more to do with the cultures in which people have come from than they do with the writings of the scriptures. One of them is this magic word, theology, well, I said in Jesus' name, so that means he's going to do what I want, right? That's, it's the abracadabra of prayer, right? It's the, the you know, um, axio whatever, right? Like the, you, you, you wave your magic wand by saying in Jesus' name, and Jesus said if I ask anything in his name, that he'll do it for me, right? No, <laughs> okay? Uh, a lot of those understandings of even that phrase, asking something in, in his name, Um, are rooted more in superstitious ideologies that are from our culture than they are in, or from other cultures uh, than they are in um, in the truth of the scriptures. So then what does it mean to do something in someone else's name? Well, I think that the most, uh, the simplest understanding then is to do something uh, in relation to their, to that person's character. When I, when I ask for something according to his will, I know that he hears me. Oh, but that's a big caveat then, isn't it? If in my prayer I find myself to be in the place of God, I'm in the wrong place. And many people in their prayers are in a lot of ways praying to ourselves and not so much to God. We're putting ourselves in his shoes. If you ask anything in my name, in his name, you know, like, (laughs) I think of David in the imprecatory Psalms, smash their teeth, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> break the faces of all those who, who you know, fight against me. You know, David was a man of war, and his prayers are incredibly honest, and, and I love them for that reason, because we know those feelings, don't we? <laughs> and then Jesus comes as the full image of God and says, love your enemies, do good to them. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. <clears throat> as much as I wrestle with it, I want this to be for me and for you the encouragement that I think Jesus is wanting it to be. You can ask the Father. You can ask him for anything, anything in accordance with the will of God. Ask him. Jesus had taught the disciples that they didn't have some things because they didn't ask. And I found that sometimes in my wrestlings about prayer and about what it, what it can look like, sometimes I find myself just not asking. And I think that's dumb. <laughs> that's the wrong response. <laughs> I think it just makes sense to say, God, would you please do this for me? And then to trust him with whatever he decides. if you love me he continues in verse 15 keep my commandments some of of our translations say if you love me you will keep my commandments Um, I want to mention quickly about this idea that um, obviously, if you ever hear anyone other than Jesus say this, you should run. Because no one else has his authority. And if they say such a thing to you, they're only trying to manipulate you to get you to do what they want. If you love me, do what I want you to do. <laughs> I understand how somebody who doesn't believe Jesus can read this and say, well, he's just trying to manipulate people. I understand. I understand. And if everything he said wasn't true, <laughs> that would make sense. But <laughs> everything he says is true. And that's the difference. The benefit then of our, of our obedience to him, uh, while it is for his glory in all things, what we also find is that it is it for our own benefit as well. His command is eternal life. His life and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. So when he commands us to do some particular thing, he does so knowing that the result of it will be good for us. He has promised that he would work all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purposes. That is what his promise is to us. And that changes this idea. He is not simply another man saying, I just want you to do what I want. Because it's good for me. Jesus' commands are also good for you. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. The word for helper here is um, someone who comes alongside to comfort or to assist. Perakletas is the Greek word for a helper here. He will give you another helper. And the idea of another is another of the same. The word there literally means another of the same kind. Jesus is telling them that he's about to leave them. And no doubt this is troubling. He begins this whole passage in John 14 by saying, let not your heart be troubled. Right? If you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father. And he'll give you another helper, a Paracletos, another Um, one to assist you, that he may abide with you forever. He will live with you forever. He will stay with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And as they're hearing Jesus say to them, I'm leaving and you guys can't come right now. No doubt they're beginning to be troubled about what that means for the rest of their lives. And so now Jesus gives them this incredible promise that God would be with them. This promise of the Holy Spirit is the very thing that the early church used to understand that God had accepted other people groups into his body, into the church, was the gift of the Holy Spirit being given to them. Uh, First we see it in Acts chapter 2, then we see this same idea later with the Samaritans, and then we see the same thing with the Greeks after Peter shares with those other groups. Okay? Jesus had promised this. And this is a direct fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament. Um, some of those references are Joel chapter two. Uh, we also have like the Valley of Dry Bones prophecy in the book of Ezekiel where God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these dry bones, speak to them. And the the wind blows and the dry bones then get up and they then are covered with flesh again. It's a prophecy about the rebuilding and restoration of Israel itself. And then uh, also of uh, of the church uh, receiving the the spirit of God He will be with us. That is his promise. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So then everyone who has trusted him has received his spirit. And as such, we can be sure of this fact that wherever we find ourselves, there there he is too with us. In whatever lonely valley, in whatever place of darkness or joy, he is with us. This is why he is called Emmanuel, right? God with us. God with us first. Israel understood that in a very direct sense when Jesus is bodily present with them. But now he's about to leave and this can be troubling. (laughs) This is God. He's proven himself to be the Messiah to them and now he's leaving. And so he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will come to you. And he comes to them In the spirit of truth. That's one that can be a bit of a rebuke too. As churches can be filled with much error. He is the spirit of truth. Whom the world can't receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. He said I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live you will live also. And that day, you will know that, at that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus now is talking to them about this unity, this gathering together, this belonging to Him. Fundamentally, I have to ask what I'm after in the world. What are you living for? Is it really going to matter in the end? Maybe in a very, also a very true sense, does it even matter right now what I'm living for? What is it that's important to me? That day you'll... You'll know that I am in my Father and you and me and I in you. He who has my commandment and keep cam- commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him, manifest myself to him. Paul talks about this idea in Second Corinthians. I encourage you to read more about that. In Second Corinthians three, um, this idea of seeing Jesus and being changed from glory to glory by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I know and am sure of this fact that while I trusted Jesus the first time in a very real, direct sense uh, as a young man, um, (laughs) there's so much he has to work out (laughs) in me (laughs) and is still at work doing. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Remember, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There are many who hear the scriptures and then go off and do whatever they want. And then sometimes even call themselves followers of Jesus. (laughs) Because it's easy to say, I follow Jesus, without actually following Jesus. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So then I ask, Do I know His commandments? Am I hearing Him? What voices am I giving um, the the primary place to in my thinking and in my life? Again, when I was a young man, when I was younger, one of the things that became a realization to me was that a lot of problems that people have, they have because they believe stupid things to be true, and so I wanted to go into, I I began to study psychology, uh, and uh, and particularly behavioral therapy, Um, those ideas, um, because uh, while we certainly use medication for many things now, behavioral therapy has been shown to be incredibly helpful, it just takes takes time, (laughs) because it takes talking, (laughs) and relationships, and um, changing of trust. Um, I I realized that people believe really stupid things. And and when they change what they believe frequently, their behavior changes. (laughs) Um, Frequently, even the way people feel changes when we change what we believe, when we uh, agree that something else is true than what we had previously thought. Um, The more I grew, the more I realized that uh, this... I, I wanted to center this idea in the truth of god 's word as the primary place of that truth <laughs> uh, that that people would hear the truth of what God says, and as they embrace um, what he says to be true that then our lives would be changed and I found this to be true, and I think that 's part of it for me was that in my own wrestlings and internal struggles with things that that I had gone through in my own life um, with the suffering that i had had been through um, in my own stupid things, my own stupid decisions, I realized that as I spent more time in the scriptures, somehow God was liberating me. I was finding freedom um, from a lot of things that that had previously held me in bondage um, because I was changing what I believed to be true about things and about myself and about the world around me because I was beginning to believe what God had said about all of those things. <clears throat> he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and reveal myself to him. At the end of the day, when it comes to all the wrestlings about Christianity and all of that and the church, I just find myself keep continuing to come back to Jesus. It just is about Jesus. But we really have to speed up now. <laughs> Judas, not Iscariot. This is, this is John's way of being, you know, distinguishing between between the two different Judases. Remember, Judah is uh, Judah or Judas is the Hebrew word for praise. Um, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord. How is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How is it then that you'll reveal yourself to us? Jesus had just said, he who has, has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. Jesus just told them that. So the natural response that Judas is, that Judas has is, G- Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Why will you reveal yourself to us and not to everybody? Not to the world. Jesus answered and said, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I I, I don't know if this is a non-answer, <laughs> or um, except to say rather that uh, I don't think it is a non-answer so much as it is um, not necessarily the answer that Judas was looking for." Jesus answered and said to him, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him." And we will come to him and make our home with him. There is this, this um, embracing, this joining together in, in Jesus that is um, something that is true for his church. As we recognize, he calls us, he rescues us, he sets us free from sin, he unites us together with himself. The very, there is a very particular relationship that those who f- that those who follow Jesus have with God that the world does not know. He who doesn't love me doesn't keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. I think it's actually a very direct and very clear understanding or statement. The word which you hear isn't mine but the Father's who sent me. He who doesn't love me doesn't keep my words and the word which you hear isn't mine but the Father's who sent me. It may not be what I wanted to hear Jesus say but that was his response. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. He who doesn't love me, doesn't keep my words. <laughs> Again, Jason, do you believe this? <laughs> These things I've spoken to you, verse 30, 25 says, These things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, that now he is named the Holy Spirit, this parakletos, this helper that Jesus had promised, the spirit of truth, is called the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things that I said to you. This is why I'm not so concerned about, about the uh, records. <laughs> He will bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. What I mean by that is that those who wrote the books of the New Testament have the benefit of God's Spirit being with them and bringing to remembrance the things that Jesus taught them. Peace I leave with you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Just want you to hear him. Peace, he says to you. My peace I give you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. You've heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you'd rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. <laughs> He's like, if you guys really understood what was happening here, you'd be happy that I was leaving to go to the Father. <laughs> there is this order even in the Godhead itself, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. As the Son proceeds from the Father, and the Spirit gives testimony to both the Father and the Son. And now, verse 29, I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Paul in some of his letters refers to the devil, refers to uh, Satan um, as the prince of the power of the air, the one who rules in this present darkness. Mm. Even that reality is is something that um, as we set it in the order of all of the revelation of scriptures we find that even that is something under God's authority. Satan is not there's not like yin and yang and good versus evil trying to overcome each other that is just not that is not the created order of things. God is bigger than all of that. And we can wrestle all day long with what what it means for God to use or to redeem evil. to work things together for good that the enemy of our souls is simply trying to rip apart to destroy and to tear and <laughs> that we frequently are as well and somehow God is able to revive and to bring life in the midst of that as a testimony to himself and of his power and of his goodness we can talk about many of those conversations um, the world is a, a mess because of um, <laughs> the ruler <laughs> of this world. Jesus said, "The ruler for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me, immediately setting himself against um, all that Satan is and stands for. He has nothing in me and also he has no power over him either. But that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Now they leave dinner. This is very much almost like... Um, I love the story of this happening. Arise, let us go from here, he said. Now it seems they are probably headed out toward the Mount of Olives. Hmm. Real quickly, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. As some have, um, noted, the the phraser literally means he lifts it up in every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit you are already clean because of the word which i have spoken to you abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can lo- you unless you abide in me being a christian really is at the end of the day as simple as that abide in jesus if you want to bear fruit you want to have a good result of your life then be with jesus Abide in him, live in him, let his word abide in you. You and I live in such a privileged place of having received the scriptures in the way that we have, the testimony of the prophets and of Jesus himself. And it often these are the things that we neglect because we're so enthralled with our entertainment. And I just want to remind you that there are consequences for it. I don't say that to condemn. I say that to warn, to remind us that a lot of that we face a lot of things that are unnecessary, particularly with the attitudes, our internal attitudes and struggles in a lot of ways because we neglect the word of God. And so I say to myself, Jason, read your Bible. <laughs> <coughs> So I say to my soul, soul, <laughs> read your Bible. <laughs> abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. This idea is something that Paul picks up later on when he writes to the church at Rome. In Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, he talks about this place of, of blessing, that God is the, the vine, and we are like branches grafted into the vine whether natural branches or grafted in. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing, verse 5 says. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Do you hear the caveat? If you abide in me and my word abides in you, my words abide in you, then you can ask what you want (laughs) and I'll do it. That's a pretty big caveat because God's not your genie. (laughs) By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Lord, help us to bear fruit, fruit that remains. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you, verse 9 says. Abide in my love, stay, remain, live in my love. If there's one thing that I think is frequently challenged in our own attitudes, in the things that we face, moment by moment, is the question, does God still love me? Frequently, when we face difficulty or trial, that is something that seems to be in question. But it needn't be. Yes, he loves you. Abide, remain in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, verse 9 says. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. (laughs) What does it mean to have fullness of joy? Jesus said, let his word abide in you. These things I say. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I don't know I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else I need to say for me to realize that, that I need to be hearing the scriptures more. I need to be spending more time in the word of God, meditating on what God has said. But it's difficult because I'm easily distracted. <laughs> this is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. You guys can sing the song if you want. This is my commandment, that you love one another. (laughs) As I have loved you, right? And if there is anything that really is a testimony of the failure of the um, external church, is this idea that we aren't really seen as a group that loves each other. So I say, what can we do to change that? oh, we can really love each other, <laughs> right? Like, we can help take care of each other. We can be concerned about each other. We can call each other. We can reach out. We can provide for each other. We can share our resources to help take care of each other, right? Like that's just, this is all, this church. <laughs> it's the body of Jesus. It's not, it's not our buildings. It's, not any of that. It's a relational structure of of a family, an extended family, the family of God, where we really care about each other. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. See that's the that's the rub though. Cause if I love you it means I'm 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 gonna have to sacrifice. <laughs> I'm gonna have to lay down my life. <laughs> Greater love is known than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you, Jesus said. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. See, because that, that re- he's talking about how we ask for things and then saying in the context of, of, us, of us loving one another. This really changes the direction even of prayer from selfish motives, from just trying to ask more for ourselves, to saying, I'm asking you, Father, to do this thing for this person that I love, for this other person, because I care about them. I'm asking you to provide. Or Lord, let me give away what I have and then, and then I trust you, God, that you'll provide for me because I've given to my friend who has need, my friend who's hungry, or my friend who needs clothes, I've given what I've had to them so that means now I need to trust you to provide for me, God. These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. <laughs> if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I think it's important for us to remember that our goal in following Jesus can't be to make the, the world system happy with us. Don't misunderstand. There's something incredibly appealing and right even to the world around us about a group of people loving and caring for each other. It's beautiful and attractive and wonderful, sure. But we don't do so devoid of truth. We care for each other in the light of the truth. And that means being able to say to one another, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And in many ways, that's something that, particularly in our culture, is flat out rejected these days. Right? Oh, oh, oh it's not wrong for somebody to do something Some particular thing, it's just their truth. (laughs) Oh, okay. Remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they don't know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they'd have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I hadn't done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. And now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Interesting. This happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was was written in their law. The only references to that are Psalms. (laughs) Once again, I want to remind you that Jesus' view of the Hebrew Scriptures seems to be different than ours (laughs) at times. This last section here, before the last couple of verses, that last section there seems to be a summary of Jesus' relationship to the Jewish community of his time. They were rejecting him, and so they were rejecting the Father who sent him. And Jesus had made that very, very clear to them. If I hadn't spoken to them, they would have no sin in in regard to that particular thing. But now they have no excuse for their sin, he said. He who hates me hates my father also. Remember, the Jewish leaders really hated Jesus (laughs) because of the things he did to violate their religious structures. If I hadn't done among them the works which no one else did, they'd have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. And in the context of Jesus doing particular miracles that no one else had ever done, I think that's very directly what he's referring to here. Jesus performed several miracles that no one else, at least in in recorded Jewish history, has done. And Jesus is saying, they saw, they're aware of this, and they've rejected me. Now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, the last couple of verses. But when the helper comes, whom I, shall, whom I shall send to you from my father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have both you have been with me from the beginning. Two things really quickly. One is that the spirit of God is called the spirit of truth man, we ought to be really careful about things that we do on the internet because there's a lot of stuff that ain't true that people be trying to say is true. So, I don't know, you know, make it a habit of, like, not sharing anything. How how about that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The Holy Spirit comes to to give testimony to Jesus. He will testify of me, and you also will bear bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning in a very direct sense, and we find this when we get to the book of Acts. One of the requirements when they replaced Judas is that they were going to choose somebody who had been with them from the beginning, one of the early disciples. And so uh, that was one of the requirements for that replacement apostle to replace Judas after Judas hanged himself. They would indeed bear witness. Uh, They would be his apostles, um, going out into the world to testify of his resurrection from the dead, his death, burial, and resurrection. This great news that we have been promised that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried and has been raised from the dead, and he raises from the dead both one day when our bodies die, but also now he raises us. He gives us life from the dead by um, bringing us into the light of his truth. Okay, so whew, there's a lot there. I encourage you guys to keep reading. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness to us. I pray that as we've gone through these couple of chapters here uh, that we wouldn't lose sight of this reality of the reality that you have asked us to love each other. But you do so in light of the fact that you have loved us. And, and Father, you sent Jesus who laid his life down for us. And so we have the privilege of doing that for one another, trusting that you will raise us up again. So, Father, in our marriages, help us to die to ourselves so that we can serve our spouses. Help us to die to ourselves so that we can serve our children. Help us to die to ourselves that we might serve our community, this community of believers together. And help us to die to ourselves that we might serve the broader community who doesn't meet with us outside of of this place or wherever it is that we might meet meeting places don't matter we we are we are the 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 temple of your spirit in this new covenant and I pray that you would be working through our hands and our feet to do good in a world full of death please Lord teach us to love one another please would you please do it in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. On you and be gracious with you, and the Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. You guys, may God give you peace as you continue to abide in His Word. I don't think there's any other way that uh, to say it. <laughs> abide in His Word. He's the vine; we're the branches. We're just connected to Him, and that's how you bear fruit. You just stay connected to Him. That's it. <laughs> okay. Okay. You guys are dismissed this week.